Heavenly Father, I thank you so much, Lord, for um, bringing us through another week. Thank you so much for the Sabbath that you have blessed and sanctified and you have allowed us to enjoy. Lord, at this time, we are asking for your presence to be here. Lord, as we open your word and as we study together, I'm praying, Lord, that you would please send the Holy Spirit to lead us and to guide us into all truth. I pray that you would please um, allow the words that I will share to be relevant and also applicable to each of our lives here. And I pray that you would just speak to our hearts, that you would convict us, that you would help us to see the changes that we need to make, the areas in which we need to come up higher. And Father, I'm just asking that in this time, we will be drawn closer to you. So Lord, I pray that you would remove every distraction. Help us to focus. Help us to give all our attention to you in this time. And I pray that we would be blessed. And so Lord, we surrender our hearts and our minds to you. And we surrender this time into your hands. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, we will be looking at the fourth church, which is the church of Thyatira. So let's go to the book of Revelation chapter 2 and verse 18. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 18. The Bible says this, And unto the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet and his feet are like fine brass. So here we see the church of Thyatira. Now the church of Thyatira existed around the time 538 AD to 1798 AD. Now the name Thyatira, it means order of affliction. Okay, that's the name of the church, uh, order of affliction. And what was happening at this time was that the church they actually went into the wilderness and they were suffering persecution for 1260 years, 1260 years of persecution. And friends, if you are, are a student of Bible prophecy, if you know history, you will know this as the Dark Ages. This was a time that God's people, God's faithful people were driven out because of persecution. And this was the time period that the church of Thyatira was in. But notice how Jesus introduced himself to this church. Notice how he introduces himself to meet the need of the church. Now, Jesus introduced himself there in verse 18 as the Son of God. And the Bible says that he has his eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. Now, what's interesting here is that Jesus introduces himself the same way he did in chapter 1 of Revelation. When Jesus came to John and he revealed himself to John, the description is same as we see here in verse 18. But why does Jesus introduce himself as the Son of God? Why, why was the, what was the need for Jesus to do that? Now, during this time, the Catholic Church was in control. The Catholic Church was in power. And one of their claims, one of the claims of the papacy was that the Pope is God. 
the Pope was the vicar of Christ, which meant that he was the representative of God on earth. So in other words, they were saying that Pope, he is like God. And the reason why Christ introduced himself as the Son of God was because he was showing that he is the true God. And this was again against the claims of the papacy that the Pope is like unto God. Jesus was telling this church that the Pope is not God. I, Jesus, am the Son of God. I am the true God. But why? Let's look at the eyes like a flame of fire. Why does Jesus mention his eyes being like a flame of fire? Notice what the Bible says in Matthew chapter 22 and verse 11. The Bible says, And when the king came in to see the guest, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. Now, this was a parable that Jesus spoke to his disciples, to the people at that time. And the purpose of this parable was to allow his hearers to know about the coming judgment. And notice there in verse 11 that the king representing God or Jesus, he looked at the guest. He saw the guest. And what did he see? He saw that there was a man who had no wedding garment on. So based on this verse, we can conclude that the eyes of Christ are used for judgment. The eyes of Christ are used to judge. And we know that fire in the Bible is used also as a symbol of judgment. For example, Sodom and Gomorrah, they were destroyed with fire. We know that sinners at the end of time will be destroyed with fire as well. So the eyes like a flame of fire represents God's judgment. Or it represents his right to judge. Now, how about the feet of brass? Why did Jesus mention that? Now, what's interesting is that in the sanctuary service, brass was used in the courtyard as the sacrifice for sacrifice. Okay, brass was used for the altar of sacrifice. And so brass is in the Bible is used to represent the sacrifice of God. But why does it mention the feet of Christ? What do the feet of Christ represent? Notice what the Bible says in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, the Bible says, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. So you see, the heel of Christ, friends, was bruised when? During his crucifixion, right? Remember, the nails were driven into the feet of Christ. His heel was bruised. So the feet of Christ, like brass, represents the sacrifice of Christ, okay? So what is Jesus saying here? Jesus is saying that he is divine. He is the true God. And he's saying that he has the eyes for judgment. And he is the one who died for the church. He is the true God. And Christ was introducing himself this way to show the contrast between him and the Pope. Helping the people to see that they should not be worshipping this man, but they should be worshipping the true God. But let's continue. Let's go to verse 19 of Revelation chapter 2. Revelation 2, 19, the Bible says, 
I know thy works and charity and service and faith and thy patience and thy works and the last to be more than the first. So Christ told this church that he knows their works, their charity, their service, and their faith and patience. But then Christ said he knows their works and he says, notice, he says that the last to be more than the first. Now, what did Christ mean by this? What did he mean that their last works was more than their first? Now, the Bible is not so clear about this, but notice what Alan White says. In the Great Controversy, page 82, uh, paragraph, page 88, sorry, paragraph 2, the Bible says, uh, Alan White says, At last, the work was completed. The first English translation of the Bible ever made. The Word of God was opened to England. The Reformer feared not now the prison or the stake. He had placed in the hands of the English people a light which should never be extinguished. In giving the Bible to his countrymen, he had done more to break the fetters of ignorance and vice, more to liberate and elevate his country, than was ever achieved by the most brilliant victories on fields of battle. So notice here that Alan White says that the work was completed. Okay, the last work was completed. And what was she referring to? She was referring to the first English translation of the Bible and the giving of the Bible to the people. Now, do you remember what was the promise given to the previous church? Christ promised them that he would give them hidden manna. And manna represents the word of God. And here in this church, this promise is fulfilled. The people are given the word of God. They were given the truth. But let's continue. Let's go to Revelation chapter 2 and verse 20. The Bible says, Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication, and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. Now, even though Christ recognized the good works of this church, their patience and, and, and their faith, the, the good aspects of the church, he had a rebuke for them. Christ rebuked them for allowing the doctrine of Jezebel to creep into the church. Now, if you notice here in verse 20, the doctrine of Jezebel is exactly the same doctrine as Balaam and Balak as we saw in the previous church. Remember, the, the doctrine of Balaam and Balak was to also teach them to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. So the doctrine of Balaam crept into this church. It continued into this church. But why is Jezebel being brought up in this church? Why does Jezebel, why is Jezebel being mentioned? Now, what does a woman represent in the Bible? Okay, a woman in the Bible represents God's people, or we can say it represents the church. So Jezebel here represents a church. Okay, but what kind of church does Jezebel represent? First, we must ask the question, who was Jezebel? 
And what did Jezebel do? In order to find out, we must go to the Old Testament. So let's go to the book of 2 Kings chapter 9 and verse 22. 2 Kings 9.22, the Bible says, And it came to pass when Joram saw Jehu, that he said, Is it peace, Jehu? And he answered, What peace? So long as the whoredoms of thy mother Jezebel and her witchcrafts are so many. So you see, based on this verse, Jezebel had the reputation of a harlot and she also practiced witchcraft. Because she was a harlot and she practiced witchcraft. Let's go to 1 Kings 16.31. 1 Kings 16.31, the Bible says, And it came to pass as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he took to wife Jezebel, the, da the daughter of Ithbaal, king of the Zidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. Now what happened here was that Ahab, he married Jezebel. Now Ahab was a king. And Jezebel, remember, a woman represents the God's people or the church in the Bible. So Jezebel was a religious figure. So what do we see here happening? Ahab and Jezebel coming together, we see the union of church and state. Just like Balaam and Balak, as we saw in the previous church. But let's also go to sorry, 1 Kings chapter 21, verse 25. 1 Kings chapter 21, verse 25, the Bible says, But there was none like unto Ahab, which did sell himself to work wickedness in the sight of the Lord, whom Jezebel his wife stood up. Now notice here something important. Jezebel was the one controlling the relationship. So what do we see here? We see a church that is controlling the state. In Pergamos, the previous church, we saw a union of state and church. The state was still in control of the church. But here in the church of Thyatira, we see the exact opposite. The church is now in control of the state. Now, what was happening uh, in history at this time was that the Roman Catholic Church was in power and they had influence over the European nations. The church was in control of the state. Okay? But what else did Jezebel do? Let's go to 2 Kings chapter 9 and verse 7. 2 Kings chapter 9 and verse 7, the Bible says, And thou shalt smite the house of Ahab thy master, that I may avenge the blood of my servants the prophets, and the blood of all the servants of the Lord at the hand of Jezebel. So what did Jezebel do? She persecuted God's people. And this is the same when we apply it to the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church were responsible for the death of many Christians during the Dark Ages. And this was the time period that the church of Thyatira was in. So Jezebel here simply means the Catholic Church. She is used as a figure to represent the papacy. So how did the Catholic Church cause God's people to commit fornication and to also eat things sacrificed unto idols? Now what does fornication mean 
in the Bible. Okay, let's go to the book of Romans, chapter 7, verses 2 to 3. The Bible says, For the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Here in Romans 7, we see the marriage illustration given by Paul. Now Paul was saying here that we should be dead to our old men of sin. Why? So that we can be married to Christ. When we have a relationship with Christ, while the old man of sin is still alive within us, Paul says that we are committing fornication. We are committing adultery. So what was happening? You see, Jezebel, or, or the papacy, um, was leading God's people to commit fornication. How? By continuing in their sin. By drawing away from Christ. The Catholic Church got, caused God's people to live in sin while also trying to maintain a relationship with Christ. Now, how about eating things sacrificed to idols? Now, this simply means um, accepting the teachings of the Catholic Church. Remember, okay, in the previous church, that God's people were given to eat of the hidden manna. They were given the hidden manna so that they can eat of it, so that they can eat God's word. Instead, here in this church, they are eating things sacrificed to idols. So it's the exact opposite. To eat things sacrificed to idols means to not follow the teachings of the Bible. It's to accept other doctrines other than the Bible. You see, even though they were given the Word of God, they were still living in sin. They were still compromising principles and they were giving heed to the doctrines of the Catholic Church. This was what was happening to the people in the church of Thyatira. But those who were faithful to God, they were being persecuted. Those who kept God's word and were faithful to it were driven out because of persecution. They had to run because their lives were being persecuted. But those who were not willing to be persecuted, not willing to die for their faith, they compromised and they accepted the teachings of the Catholic Church. And because of this, Christ rebuked them. But friends, I want to ask you this question. How does this apply to our lives today? How is this relevant to us? You know, you may be sitting there and you may be thinking, you know, I, I'm in the SAA church. I, I'm not part of the Catholic Church today. I'm not following uh, false doctrines. So how is this relevant to me? Well, how do we commit fornication, spiritual fornication today? And how do we eat things sacrificed to idols? You see, one thing we must understand is that we may not be teaching or we not, may not be accepting false doctrine today, but maybe we are not fully accepting what the Bible tells us either. Okay, what do I mean by that? Now, when we look at the papacy, 
or the Catholic Church, they do not uphold the Bible as a standard of truth. The Bible for them does not have full authority. You know, they believe that they can pick and choose whatever they want to believe, and they can remove and change whatever they do not want to believe. And the fact is, some of us, we do the same thing today. Let me give you some examples. Some of us don't believe that we can have victory over sin. You know, some of us, we believe that we will keep sinning until Jesus comes. We think that Jesus will save us in our sins so that we can keep sinning until Jesus comes. We don't need to have victory over sin. But what does the Bible tell us about that? Let's go to the book of 1 John chapter 3 and verse 9. Sorry, in the slide there it says 19, but actually it's verse 9. Okay, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 9. The Bible says, Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. You see, the Bible is very clear. Whoever is born of God will not commit sin. In fact, the Bible says that they cannot sin. You see, friends, the Bible is very clear that we can stop sinning. And there are so many other verses in the Bible that show us we can have victory over sin. This is what the Bible teaches us. But some of us, we find it so hard to accept and believe this. We tell ourselves that it is impossible for us to stop sinning and therefore we continue living in sin. We continue cherishing our pet sins, continue holding on to the sins that we love. And maybe it's because of that. Maybe it's because we love our sins so much and we don't want to stop. So we keep living in sin while telling ourselves that we cannot overcome them that it's just natural for us to sin, that we can keep sinning until Jesus comes again. But friends, the Bible is clear that we can have victory over sin today. We can stop sinning by the grace of God. And today we need to accept that. We need to stop lying to ourselves that we can keep our sins while having a relationship with God. Another example, how about our diet? You know, the Bible is also very clear that we should not eat food or meat with fat and blood. In fact, the Bible calls that that act sin. But some of us, we are still eating meat with fat and blood. And we tell ourselves, oh, you know, it's okay. It's just diet. God doesn't care. God doesn't really, it doesn't really matter to God what I eat. You see, but the Bible is very clear that we should not be eating fat nor blood. You know, today we may not be eating pork or unclean meat, but what about meat with fat and blood? Jesus tells us, the Bible tells us clearly that we must avoid. It is the same thing. But are we following what the Bible tells us? Are we accepting it? Are we practicing it? Or are we just compromising and telling ourselves that it's okay? How about music or or movies or computer games? You know, the Bible has guidelines about what we should watch and what we should listen to. But are we spending our time in the things of this world and thinking that we can have a relationship with God? 
You see, friends, this is what it means to commit spiritual fornication. This is what it means to eat things sacrificed to idols today. You know, we, we may not be part of the papacy. We're not in the Catholic Church. We may not be receiving false doctrines, but are we living up to the truth of the Bible, to every single word that we find in the Word of God? Or do we find ourselves living in sin? Do we find ourselves picking things that we, we want to believe and then throwing out things that we don't want to believe? Do we compromise on the truth that we have, on the truth that is so plainly revealed in the Word of God? Friends, this is the question that we need to reflect on today. We must reflect on our lives and we must answer this question today. Am I fully following what the Bible teaches me today? You see, friends, with God, there is no 90 or 95%. There's no even 99%. God wants us fully in or fully out. Today, God is calling us to be faithful to every single word of the Bible, to every single truth that He has plainly shown us in His Word. And friends, are we doing that today? Are we being faithful and obedient to every single doctrine, every single truth in the Word of God? Well, let's continue. Let's go to Revelation 20, uh, 2, verse 21 to 23. This is what the Bible says. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. And I will kill her, her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he which searcheth the reins and hearts, and I will give unto every one of you according to your works. You see, friends, God gave the papacy time to repent. God gave them time to turn back to Him. And how long? For 1260 years. 1260 years. And friends, that is a long time to repent. You can see how God is so merciful and so loving that He gave the Catholic Church and those that followed her doctrines time to repent. And today, friends, while there is still time, God is calling us to repent as well. God is calling us to heed the message that we have received. He is extending His mercy. And soon, His mercy will, will, will cease. His mercy will not always be there. So friends, while you can still hear God's voice, while you still um, receive that message of warning and of mercy, God is calling us to repent. But unfortunately, the papacy did not repent. And because of that, God told them that He would destroy them. And He would destroy every single person that followed their doctrine. Let's continue. Let's go to verses 24 to 25. The Bible says, But unto you I say, and unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine, and which have not known the depths of Satan, as they speak, I will put upon you none other burden, but that which ye have already, hold fast 
till I come. Now, Christ was speaking here to those who did not follow the doctrine of Jezebel. And what did he tell them? He told them that he would put none other burden upon them. Now, what did Jesus mean by that? What was that burden that Jesus said, I will not put upon you? Now, once again, the Bible is not really clear, but notice what Ellen White says. In early, early writings, page 42, paragraph 3, Ellen White says, I saw that the present test on the Sabbath could not come until the mediation of Jesus in the holy place was finished, and he had passed within the second veil. Therefore, Christians who fell asleep before the door was opened into the Most Holy, when the midnight cry was finished at the seventh month, 1844, and who had not kept the true Sabbath, now rest in hope. For they had not the light and the test on the Sabbath, which we now have since that door was opened. I saw that Satan was tempting some of God's people on this point. Because so many good Christians have fallen asleep in the triumphs of faith and have not kept the true Sabbath, they were doubting about its being a test for us now. So friends, what was that burden? that Jesus said he would not put upon them, that burden was referring to the Sabbath truth. You see, the people living at the time, they had not received the light on the Sabbath yet. They did not know about the Sabbath truth, and God did not make it a test of salvation for them. But what did God tell them to do? God told them to hold fast to the truth they had already received. But you see, friends, this is something we must understand today. Today, we have the truth. Today, we have full light on all the doctrines of the Bible, especially the Sabbath. And today, we have no excuse, friends. Today, God is calling us to hold fast to the truth that we have received. You see, with increasing light comes increasing responsibility comes increasing accountability. As God has allowed us to know the truth, as God has revealed the, the light found in His Word, God expects us to keep it. God gives us the responsibility to hold fast and to be obedient. But friends, what does it mean to hold fast? You may be sitting there thinking, what does it mean to hold fast? How do I hold fast God's Word today? Now, if you look in the Greek, in the strongest concordance, the word hold fast means to retain or to use strength. It means to retain or to use strength. So to hold fast God's truth doesn't mean to only read about it. We must retain it in our minds. We must strengthen it. And how do we strengthen it? We must practice. You know, as we do it more and more, as we practice it, it gets stronger. We strengthen the truth in our hearts. Friends, we must apply every single thing that we are learning from God's Word. For example, for the Sabbath. How are you keeping the Sabbath? You know, the Bible tells us that we must refrain from our own ways, our works, and our own pleasures. Are we practicing that in our lives? Are we truly applying the truth? 
or do you or do we find ourselves treating the Sabbath just like any other day of the week? You know, many of us, we use social media on Sabbath. For us, m many of us, we talk about really things on Sabbath. We talk about, you know, different things that are not related to God on the Sabbath. Some of us, we use the Sabbath to just sleep the whole day. Friends, how are we keeping the Sabbath? Are we practicing every single thing that we know about the Sabbath? How about Titan offering? Are we faithful in giving back our Titan offering? How about our health? Are we staying away from those things that we know are bad? Are we practicing new start? You know, making sure we have enough nutrition, exercise, water, sunlight, temperance, air, rest, and trust in God. Are we practicing that? Or is that just theory that goes into our minds and then we don't do anything about it? Christ wants us to retain it. Christ wants us to strengthen it. And how do we do that? We must practice it, friends. We must apply it. And friends, it's not easy. I know it's not. For a person that wants to give up computer games or movies or, or bad music, it's a struggle. I know because I was just like that. And it was a struggle to me. I'm not saying it is easy, but I'm saying that it, it is necessary. And God will give us the grace that we need to overcome. Because on our own, we can never overcome. We cannot give up the things of this world. We cannot give up sin on our own. We must ask Christ for grace. As we are willing to work with Christ, as we put in our efforts, Christ will bless us. He will strengthen us and He will help us to hold fast the truth. But friends, the first step is to be willing to, be, to tell Jesus, to say to Jesus, that, uh, that God, uh, I, I see what you have revealed, he, revealed to me here in your word, and I want to follow it. I want to obey it. Please help me. And friends, as you do that, Christ will help you. He will guide you through every step, and He will give you the strength that you need to overcome today. Are you with me? Do you believe that, friends? If you do, then today we must apply it. Today, we must take action and we must apply the things that we learn in the Bible. That's how the Word of God becomes living to us. It's not just something we read or hear, but it's something that we keep in our hearts and our minds. It's something that we practice. It's something that we allow into our lives so that it changes us, so that it transforms us, so that we become different from the rest of the world. Friends, today, God is calling us to be faithful, to hold fast. But let's continue. Let's finish the rest um, of the, uh, the rest of this church. Okay, let's see what the Bible says. Let's go to verse 26 and 27. The Bible says, And he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. As the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers, even as I received of my Father. Now Christ told this church to overcome. Now what does it mean for this church to overcome? It means to hold fast to the truth of God's word, to keep his works unto the end. And Christ promised the church that they would be given power over the nations. 
shall rule them. They shall be together with God in his kingdom. And friends, today God is calling us to overcome as well. God is calling us to hold fast every single doctrine found in his word. He's calling us to keep his works unto the end. You see, friends, it's not enough for us to say that we believe in the Bible. It's not enough for us to merely profess that we read and study the Bible. We must prove it by our works. It is seen in the fruits of our lives. That is the true evidence that we are holding fast to God's truth. And friends, I'm not saying that we'll be saved by works. We are not. I'm not saying that we can work our way to heaven. But good works are a natural result of receiving and applying God's truth. As you study and as you accept God's word, as you put it into your heart and your mind and as you practice it, friends, it is just natural that you will have good works. It is natural that your life will change. It is natural that you will be a light and a witness to others. So friends, how do we know if we are holding God's word today? It is seen in our lives. It's seen in our works. So we have to reflect. Reflect on our lives. Reflect on our works today. Am I keeping God's word? Am I practicing it? Am I truly applying what God wants me to apply? But there is something else that Christ promised this church. Let's go to verse 28. Revelation chapter 2, verse 28. The Bible says, And I will give him the morning star. Now, God also promised the church that he would give them the morning star. Now, who is this morning star? Notice what the Bible says. Revelation twenty-two sixteen, I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. See, friends, the morning star refers to Jesus himself. God promised the church that he would give them Jesus. But what else does it represent? Let's go to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19. The Bible says, We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. You see, friends, the morning star also represents prophecy, or we can say it represents the Word of God. Christ promised the church that they would receive Jesus through the receiving of God's Word. They would receive more light upon the Scriptures. And friends, this promise has been fulfilled today. We have the Word of God, but more than that, we have received light of the truth found in God's Word. And friends, of course, there are things that we cannot fully understand from the Bible while we are here on earth, right? There are things that we can try as much as study out, but we cannot come to the conclusion. We can only know when we go to heaven. And even then, we will be studying and learning for eternity. But today, God is not calling us to focus on those things that we cannot fully understand. He's not calling us to make it a point of controversy but He is calling us to hold fast to the truth that He has plainly revealed in His Word. He's calling us to be obedient. He's calling us to apply His Word today. And friends, 
you know, we are truly living in the last days. If you look at the things happening around us, you know that this world is soon coming to an end. And soon, we will go through similar experiences as the early Christians did just before Jesus comes. But what is God telling us today? God is telling us today to be faithful to His Word. He's telling us today to hold fast to the things that we have learned from His Word. He's calling us to be faithful and to practice His Word so that we will not compromise our standard no matter what. And today, God promises to give us Jesus, the morning star of Reformation. And when Jesus comes, and when Jesus dwells in us, He will shape us. He will mold us and transform us into His glory so we will become a living testimony, a living witness for Him that others can see the difference when they look at our lives. And friends, today we need the help of Jesus. We need the help of Jesus to live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And without His help, we cannot do it. So friends, what is your decision today? Will you make the commitment to apply every truth in God's Word? Will you practice it? Will you retain it? Will you seek to strengthen those things that which you have learned? And will you allow Jesus into your hearts? Will you allow Him into your life so He can do a work that no man can do? Will you allow the morning star into your life today so He can shine through and so that He can truly transform you and use you for His glory? Friends, I hope that that is your decision this, today. And with that, friends, let's pray. Let's pray as we close here and let's ask Jesus to really help us to apply the message that we have heard today so we will leave here different, changed, transformed. So friends, let's pray together here. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much, Lord, for the message that you have given us. Thank you so much for the reminder that you have given us your word, that you have given us full light on your scriptures. And Lord, today you have given us the responsibility to be faithful, to apply every single thing that we have learned. And Lord, we are asking for your grace. We are weak and sinful and we cannot do these things on our own. And so you, I pray that you would help us, that you would give us the grace that we need. And Lord, help us to be willing. Help us to realize our need. And I pray that you would help us to come to you and to invite Jesus into our hearts. Father, I pray for every single person here that has listened to this message or, or that will listen to it later. I pray that you would speak to them individually Help them to see the change that they need to make. Help them to see the decisions that they need to make. And I pray that you would strengthen it, that you would help them to seal their decision, that they would not change their minds, that they would not turn back. And I pray that they would hide your word in their heart today. And so, Lord, we thank you so much once again for this time. And we want to surrender the rest of this day into your hands. Thank you so much for hearing and answering our prayers. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.